right, so if you're joining us online, we're glad that you're with us. And I know we have some online watchers, maybe even Leela. If you're Leela Burton, we just prayed for you. Continue to, I didn't mention Bobby, but keep Bobby Blaine in your prayers as she's uh, uh, still recovering and uh, going through therapy. And so that's been a, a challenge for her. Uh, tonight, we're going to start a, a new section. And so we've covered provision and protection and uh, we are, uh, we've covered the function, your place in the local church. Uh, I've had good feedback, too, and I appreciate the feedback and, uh, on these se- sessions. We talked about relation uh, and identification. And tonight, we're going we're gonna to get into mission and vision. And uh, I'm trying to, here we go. Yeah, and then the last section will, will be interaction. So after we're done with that, we'll have a season of QA, and then uh, then we'll get into some other topics that we have uh, lined up for the year, uh, and I'll get you the menu of those. I don't have those on the ready, but uh, we have some other Bible studies coming your way. All right, so if you have your Bibles, uh, we'll be turning to Luke. Well, I think I got those on the screen, Luke chapter 14, but we've uh, covered provision and protection, as I said, the function, how we function in the body of Christ, our relation to God and others. Being who God says we are, and now what God has called us to do. So what has God called us to do? Well, the primary purpose of this lesson is to teach us uh, that we have been called to fulfill the Great Commission through the local New Testament church. I think that's something that most of us probably in this room right here heard, uh, if not once, uh, several hundred times probably. So our, our relationship with God brings uh, begins, I'm sorry, when we answer the call to salvation. We This, this uh, objective for this lesson doesn't matter if you're not saved. So you got to be saved. You got to come into the door first before you can get in on the mission. Um, but like a child, our understanding of our new nature and our role in the family of God and the mission that God has, has, grows us up to accomplish over time matures in our understanding uh, in God's word and it's, it's practical application in our lives. So the primary work that God is doing in us results in his ability to use us to accomplish his mission through us for his honor and glory. So uh, what we're going to look at in this lesson is the biblical definition of the mission of God for the church. And then we'll see the vision that God gives to us to see the see and fulfill his mission. We'll also see the role of discipleship in fulfilling the mission of God and then the practical involvement in church planting and missions. So we're going to cover quite a lot. And so uh, we're also going to do some evaluation in this in this one that uh, will require your input. But just for way of teaching tonight, the first point is the biblical definition of the mission of God for the church. So we're not going to take a whole lot of time on this because many of you uh, are familiar with this. Um, but uh, what is the biblical definition of the mission? Well, first of all, the heart of God's mission is found in Luke uh, chapter 14, uh, verse 16. The Bible says, Then said they unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And the other said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And the other said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house be Being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes in the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, 
uh, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go uh, out into the highway and the hedges, and compel them to come into the inn, uh, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. And so um, Luke 14 is a is an example of of obviously Jesus came to his own and and his own received him not. And of course we end up getting invited and and uh, become the bride in the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's also a dual application here. Um, that's a devotional application in the millennium. Uh, there'll be um, there'll be you know people coming in at the at the marriage supper of the Lamb. As he goes out and bids them to come, but the Son of Man is is come in Luke nineteen ten to seek and save uh, that which was lost. Right, God has a desire to see the lost saved. It's His heart, and it's God's heart to reconcile a fallen world to Himself, and that's really what He wants to do. He wants to reconcile a, a fallen world to Himself. In First Corinthians fifteen forty five, the Bible says Jesus call or the Bible tells us. That the uh, Jesus is called there the last Adam, and he reserves, uh, he reversed. I'm sorry, the curse of Adam. Yet he was rejected by his own. Not only before his death, burial, and resurrection, but even after he resurrected, he desired to use Israel to fulfill his will concerning the kingdom of God. So Israel, uh, nonetheless, rejected their resurrected Messiah at the stoning of Stephen, and the opportunity for the Jews to steward the mystery of the kingdom of God was lost in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost. Right, so that happened. I was just w- rehearsing this with my son this week. We were walking through the book of Acts and talking about some doctrinal points in regard to uh, dispensations and and, uh, and 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 working through how you know God came to the Jews in Jerusalem and how they had to sign gifts for the Jews. And up until Acts chapter seven, the Jews had every opportunity to receive the kingdom of God, uh, but upon the stoning of Stephen, uh, they rejected it in Jerusalem formally and officially. And then in Acts chapter nine, you see how Paul. Uh, is uh, is called uh, well, and and, uh, and in Acts, well, Acts chapter eight, you see a Gentile proselyte uh, going from Jerusalem to Ethiopia who receives uh, the gospel, uh, and and uh, and then is baptized after he believes, and uh, then you see um, Philip get taken to Caesarea Philippi. Acts chapter nine, you see Paul get saved, the apostle who will become the apostle to the Gentiles. And you see that transition. Acts chapter ten, you see Gentiles. Without getting baptized, um, just hearing the word of God, you see a Gentile Roman centurion go call Peter. Peter just gets a vision that don't say what I call is uh, clean, unclean. Peter, you're going to have to change your your dispensational standards and go preach to these Gentiles, and he does. And before they can get baptized, they're all they're all speaking in other languages, tongues, and um, and all the Jews are there going, wow, these people just received the Holy Ghost like us. And then they were baptized, setting a pattern for believing and receiving the Holy Ghost and then getting baptized, which is what we do. And really after that, Acts chapter 11, and uh, you see Paul, and uh, and he ends up, um, and and Paul and Barnabas, and then Paul and Silas, and then eventually the Apostle Paul is the lead character. Um, We call him Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Silas, but really it was more like Barnabas and, and Saul. Saul gets introduced to the, the church at Antioch, and then, of course, the ministry begins in earnest, uh, and eventually it becomes the Apostle Paul primarily as the Apostle of the Gentiles. So all that transition happens uh, because of what I read in Luke 14. The Jews did not receive, um, and so Paul went out calling everyone, all men everywhere, to be saved. In Acts chapter 17, he preaches 
you know, God commanded at the times of this ignorance, God winketh, but it commandeth all men everywhere to repent, right? And the call goes to all. And so all that will come. And, and of course, the Gentile church was born. So when Paul began his ministry, he strategically chose synagogues to preach the gospel. I was, me and Sam were talking about this too. So he went, uh, obviously to the Jews in Jerusalem. They, they preached there in Jerusalem. Uh, then they went to the synagogues. Paul would go initially go to the synagogues, uh, to these Jewish congregations who already understood the precepts of the Word of God. And then that was the ideal place for the gospel to take root, is there in those synagogues as they were having the opportunity uh, to receive their Messiah. They probably, maybe some had heard about this because they had representatives maybe that had traveled to Pentecost or they themselves were at Pentecost and they were able to see these tongues that were spoken of, these other languages, which hadn't happened since Nimrod, right? When everyone spoke one language in Genesis chapter 10, and then all of a sudden God confounds the languages. They don't come back together again until when? The Messiah lets their tongues come back together for one purpose, so that they can hear in every man in his own language the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The same God that confounded the language is the same God that uh, brings it, coalesces it so everybody can hear in their own tongue. Never was, by the way, anybody just speaking gibberish and some crazy person over here is interpreting it. That's not even in the Bible. That, that's just make-believe. Um, and so and so Paul um, goes forth and, and he preaches the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost. Paul literally accomplishes all of that on his own. You know, he, he, he hits all one, every one of those. Uh, it's very likely he made it to Spain. Some people even think that he may have made it to Great Britain. I don't know. I don't really know. Uh, but it's, it's highly likely that before his last imprisonment, he could have, he could have made it to Spain. And, um, and so whether he did or didn't, the gospel did. And we know by the end of the first century, it had made it to Great Britain. By the third century, there's Bible colleges in Great Britain. It's not called Great Britain. Uh, it was called Britannia at the time. Um, and there was works of God going on. By 300 AD, you got St. Patrick, right? I mean, so the gospel spread quite profusely across the, the known world at that time. And so, uh, profusely is not the right word, but I have another word that fell out of my head. Prolifically, prolifically that's it. Thank you. Uh, profuse will work, but it's not really the word I was looking for. So, prolifically. Thank you, Ron. So, the gospel was rejected in the uttermost parts of the earth by the Jews. So, by 70 AD, the prophecies that could have been fulfilled to establish Israel were placed on hold for 2,000 years until this day. So you just got a great history of really the book of Acts and just that amount of time. So how many of you kind of already know all that? I'm just kind of curious. Okay, so if you don't, that's good. You can go back, rewind the tape, listen to it, slow me down, and you can kind of process through all of the things I just said. Now, Roman, or Acts 18 and verse 6 says, And when they opposed themselves, right, they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I'm clean from henceforth. I go unto the Gentiles. That's why the, who's saying that? Who do you think saying that in Acts 18? Paul, right? Paul is saying, that's it. I'm done with these, these Jews. I'm out of here. I'm going to the Gentiles. Why? Because they rejected their Messiah in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and in Europe, in the uttermost parts of the earth. So he says, I'm done with these Jews. I'm moving on and dealing with the Gentiles. Why was he dealing with the Gentiles? Yeah. Exactly. And what did the Gentiles do? They accepted it, right. So they moved on. That's that's a lesson. I mean, really, sometimes people beat their head about people who won't receive the gospel. You really just need to move on to people who will. 
Now, that doesn't mean you don't give people. I got witness to more than once. Um, you know, God is gracious, but he doesn't owe it to us. And especially when we demonstrate and we have the oracles of God, we have the truth of God's word, and then we just say, well, whatever. Well, okay, move on to people that value the word of God. And the Gentiles valued the word of God. First Thessalonians chapter 2, when Paul says, we, 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 uh, well, that's, I've been putting trust with the gospel. But further on in verse 13, First Thessalonians 2.13, he, he says, you know what? Uh, you receive the word of God as it is in truth, the very words of God. Those Gentiles in Thessalonica were receiving the words of God, where the Jews who knew the word of God didn't give it any credit. They were, they were making light. Just like in the Old Testament, there's a picture of the nation of Israel. They had that manna, but they did, they called it light bread. After a while, they got tired of God's provision. That can happen in Bible-believing churches, too. You get so much, you get saturated with truth to the point that it's just another story, just another message, just another, just another, just another. And so by, that's why we got to make sure to get out and do the ministry and not just sit around and learn all the time. And otherwise, we'll become teachers, right? Heaping to themselves teachers, having itching ears, desiring to learn some new thing. You know who was like that? The, the Greeks. Paul went to Athens, preached to the Greeks. You couldn't get Paul out of Athens quick enough. He's like, get me out of here. I got to get on up to Corinth. I don't, you know, there's people cleaving to him. He preached the gospel there on Mars Hill. Paul wasn't having it. He's like, man, I'm glad you cleave. I'm glad you received. I'm going to Corinth. Why? Because he knew all they wanted to do was hear and to, be, and to say things and hear themselves talk. <laughs> He's like, I'm out of here, man. I got to go see some Gentiles that are going to get the job done. And, uh, and so... Uh, the scripture is clear that God desires all men everywhere to be saved. Uh, we know this. I mean, this is clear. Uh, in spite of t- today, there's a there's a uh, uh, Augustinian slash Calvinistic um, theology that is just sweeping the the planet. That God only wants a, a select people to be saved. That Jesus' atonement only applies to those people who are predestined to be saved. And it goes on and on and on. And that's just old Hebrew, or that's old Greek philosophy. That's not even Bible truth. Uh, that's worshiping Zeus, not God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the Bible says, not what I'm saying, the Bible says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And you gotta, you got to shove in there the fact that that's, if you believe in limited atonement, but that's only the, that's only the, the elect. And also you got to do that in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so uh, it takes nothing away from God's sovereignty uh, to give men free will. God is still sovereign. That's what's so amazing about God is he can give you whatever decision you want to make and still he'll end up with the right answer. I mean, try that with your math equation, you know. The answer is 777. You just throw whatever you want at it. I'm still going to come out with the right answer because that's how awesome God is. He is really able to do that. He is He's incredibly powerful. And so um, he's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So there's a free volition um, is one of God's greatest gifts to mankind. Um, again, I was just, me and my son were just talking about this. Uh, ju- just as God chose to love us, and give us his son in John 3:16 God gives us the grace to repent and receive the gift of eternal life when we hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, just since I mentioned the word repent, it's not a big deal around here anymore. But there was a season when if I said repent and receive eternal life, someone thought repent meant that you had to do something to be saved. That just is a change of heart and mind that produces a change in life. Repentance is so important. As a matter of fact, if you don't repent, you don't get saved. 
right? If you don't, because that's just simply turning from uh, sin to Christ. It's not, it's not doing any works. It's just a change of heart. So it's a contrition, really, of heart, too. That's another, that's my own kind of definition, that God does not resist the broken and contrite heart, right? He will not refuse it, right? So that's what he's looking for is a change of heart. He's looking for a humility of heart to receive the words of God. That's why Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, talks about the soil of the heart, right? There needs to be a repentant heart, a soft heart, a changed heart. And so we certainly have, you don't have to be saved to have a change of heart. You know, you can be lost and have a change of heart. You can be lost and decide to change your heart. That doesn't mean you're saved, but that needs to be a condition when you believe the gospel. You see what I'm saying? There needs to be a a heart attitude that, you know what, I have decided to follow Jesus. We have hymns like that. What is that singing about? Well, that's a decision. You've changed your heart. You changed your mind. And God will give you eternal life if you call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. So salvation is a gift. And even though the price for salvation is paid in full, it's not yours until you receive it. There has to be a decision to receive that gift. And we saw that God did not force guests to attend his wedding. He called all who will come, right? He didn't force those who didn't want to. And he didn't sovereignly say that these guys are coming whether they like it or not. He gave them the volition to choose to come. All right, so any questions on that before I move on to point B? That's still point A there. I just finished up. Okay, so point B, the authority of God's mission. So we got this heart. I mean, God has got a want to. What the, that first point there, point A, is just the fact that God has a want to. And you're like, well, Brian, that's just the gospel. That's evangelism. It is, but that's the mission. That is the mission. That's part of the mission of God. He didn't say, go you therefore and teach all nations because I want really good discipleship ministries. The point of discipleship ministries is to send them out two by two and compel all men to come. Right. So that's why we say there's no such thing as if you're not a good. There's no such thing as good discipleship without good evangelism. Something is missing (laughs) if we get to where we're all about educating people in the in the fundamentals of the faith, but we won't actually do them. So it's like becoming an apprentice in uh, in anything and then not doing it. You spend four, five, six, seven years learning a trade, but you're not going to go exercise it. I mean, the point of going to school and learning the trade is to go do the trade. And then guess what? You still learn more once you're in the trade. Just because you're a journeyman doesn't mean you know everything. You still continue to learn, right? And and you grow. But there is a minimum threshold. And that's what discipleship is. It's a minimal threshold. And a lot of people look at discipleship as the end all. And it's really just the beginning. Laodiceans look at it like, oh, whew, I got through HBI, man. I'm done. No. You just started. That's just the minimum. Uh, you're just getting started. So um, so the authority of God's mission is a big deal. Matthew 28, and you guys know this passage as well. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And I started in 18 uh, because Jesus is receiving this. And you see this handoff. <coughs> it says, um, um, uh, hey, Amy, can, can you get me a water, please? Thank you. Sorry. I'm interrupting her, but it's better my wife than y'all, so because she's a sweetheart. Isn't that right, honey? She's not even giving me any time of day. All right, so, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, <coughs> Excuse me, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. Even to the end of the world. Amen. 
You know, that last sentence there, um, well, not amen. Well, maybe that too, but that last part where he says, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. I did not really weight that very heavily until probably the last eight, seven, eight years or so. Thank you, hon. I got a tickle in my throat. All right. <clears throat> Hopefully that goes away. But man, isn't it good that he's with us always? I just like that. I, what an assurance that is, even to the end of the world. Things could get a little crazy. You might wonder, is God with us? I've been preaching on that on Sunday morning. He's with you, always, even till the end of the world. He's with us. So don't doubt God. You know, that poor pastor, I, bet, I mean, he wouldn't say this to us. He probably doesn't doubt it. But we look at that poor fellow, he gets beaten, and his house is getting torn down. And, you know, is God with him? Yeah, God's with him in spite of all that's going on. So praise the Lord for that. And so all power is given to Jesus in heaven and earth, right? Uh, Jesus came and spake unto them. He didn't have to tell them that, did he? But he chose to tell them that. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. And then he just turns and says, go ye therefore. Right? I got all the power. So what's he doing? He's giving all that power to his disciples. Go ye therefore. Teach all nations. Who gave that example about the uh, about the uh, Bible or the the, uh, the the satanic verses and all that stuff, the, the Wiccan Bible? That was such a good illustration. Where was I? Where that was I? Was it here? I don't know where I was at. But recently, someone gave an example. Someone I know was preaching or teaching. Yeah, it may have been. No, I think it may have been uh, Dan Jalabuk. I don't remember who it was. Somebody gave an illustration. If if you brought up a like a satanic Bible and we're going to read it, everybody would freak out. Who was that? Dan Jalowick. Yeah, on Sunday morning. And then he was like saying, you know, the the word, we freak out about that as we obviously should, right? You know, turn, turn to the satanic verses or whatever. You know, nobody would have that. That would be wrong. Why? Why? Because we are we do genuinely fear the influence of that. We don't want that kind of influence. And yet people open up the word of God and don't think it has power. You know, he made that analogy. That was a good point. This Bible has power. I mean, it, it's powerful. And you may not believe it, but I tell you what, Chairman uh, Ping over there, Mao's replacement on China, he believes it. The Hindu priest believes it. And there's a lot of people that know this book has power. And uh, increasingly, and I say this book, and by the way, just got to make a little commercial for this book, the authorized version. It has power. As I said a few, last Sunday, or whenever I said it, this is the one people bled and died for, and there is power in the blood of the, the lamb. And there's power in the blood that was shed uh, to give us this book and deliver it to us. There's power in the word of God. And so Jesus turns to his disciples, the word of God, right? He is the word of God, John 1 and verse 1. And he says, oh, I got all power. Now I'm going to give it to you. Go ye therefore, teach all nations. And so that's a pretty, that's a pretty heavy thing. All power is given to Jesus in heaven and earth. So he's informing his disciples that all power is given to him, and he turns to them and commands them to go. And so the gospel starts with go. And so once the Spirit of God indwells the apostles, they had power to go. <clears throat> now, they didn't have that till Acts. 
And we were just talking about that a few minutes ago, just historically. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Uh, notice they're asking about Israel. They're not asking about the church. Why weren't they asking about the church? That's right. They didn't know about the church. There wasn't In their head, there wasn't such a thing yet. Even though Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Matthew 16, 18, God knew about the church, but they still, they were worried about Israel. At that time, that church was, in their mind, was Israel. And today, there's people who robbed the Jews of their inheritance, and they still say that, which is not the case, but that's another, for another day. And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So we're talking about power. Jesus says, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. But really what he, that's not, that power doesn't get transferred until you have what? Holy Ghost. Right. It's the power. It's the power. But you said, but you said well, Brian, in Romans chapter 1, it says that, Paul says, I preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because it's the power of God unto salvation. Well, it is. Because when you receive the gospel, you receive the Holy Ghost. Not just when you hear it, right? When you receive that gift, the Holy Ghost comes into you. comes Not just upon you, it comes in you. It dwells in you. You are sealed with the Spirit of God. So, so um, we get that power, and that's the power that we have to go. Go, go. So the go power comes from the Holy Ghost. So uh, there's probably a preaching point there somewhere, go and ghost and something, but I haven't put all that together yet. So we have power to witness. Uh, we have the power to witness of Jesus' resurrection because we see that we, because we receive the Holy Ghost the moment we trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. So I'm not just saying that. Colossians one says this in verse 27: To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Uh, it's no accident that so many are confused today about the role of the Holy Ghost uh, because that's one of the things that is so important uh, in our salvation is the Holy Ghost. And yet the, the attention is not on the Holy Ghost. It's on Jesus Christ, the Son, right? And so he says, um, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect, right, complete in Christ Jesus, or in Christ, I should say. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Who's working? Christ Jesus. Or is it the Holy Ghost? Yes, it's both. Christ Jesus, Holy Ghost, right? It, they're, they're working in Paul. Christ in us, the hope of glory. The Holy Ghost, yep, yep. That's, yeah, that's right. Jesus is the invisible person of God is Jesus is uh, the Holy Ghost. And Jesus Christ is a manifestation of God. No man has seen God. No man has seen the Father, I should say. And so when you see Jesus, you see God. And when you have the Holy Ghost, you have Jesus in you. And so uh, we... <clears throat> so we're not doing God a favor when we share the gospel and make disciples. That's not a favor. That's what we do. It's an order, exactly. He's redeemed us to do that. 
And I think we spend a lot of time compelling people to do what they've already been told to do. Maybe we need to be preaching on sin and complacency. I don't know. Uh, I mean, we, I mean, yes, ask Pat. We'll have I go, and man, you got a handful of people go out and I go. That's really not an option. We treat it like it's an option because you don't, like, there's nothing in the Bible says you must go out and I go. But we really don't have the option not to share the gospel. That really is why we've been saved. That's why we're here. And, uh, and to make disciples. And, and, you know, that implies to be a disciple, you're following Jesus. So to not follow Jesus is not an option. Well, I'm saved, but I don't go to church. Okay, I'm not going to say you're not saved, but I will tell you you're not a disciple. And the fact that that doesn't bother you is a problem. And it doesn't bother. How many people do you know? You go to work tomorrow, go to school tomorrow, uh, you know, and, and people will tell you, oh, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. Okay. Well, I don't even know you're a Christian then. Because you're not a disciple. You're not following Jesus. If you told them that to their face, you're not following Jesus, they'd probably get mad at you. Well, you can't tell me what. No, I can because the Bible tells us this is what disciples do. Right? They don't forsake the assembling of themselves together. They preach the gospel. Um, If you, okay, let me just, because I was this guy. I am that guy. When I first got saved, I didn't think I needed to go to church. So I can, I can, I'm schizophrenic i can play both parts so so what did brian do so brian said i don't need to go to church i'm saved so what happens when you go out and witness you lead someone to christ what do you do with them well even if they don't ask you where you realize instinctively i don't know what to do now what i need to go to church because i I got to take them somewhere. I mean, this happened to me. I mean, this isn't like I'm making this up. I, I would, lead, I led people to Christ, or at least drug them through a prayer against their own will. I don't know, but I drug them through a prayer, and then I'm like, okay, now my my that was the knowledge of my Bible. Now what? I better go to church. That's how I started really realizing I need to go to church. So if the Bible takes care of it, if you really are so stupid that you think that you don't need a church. And you're zealous enough to say, I'm going to go win the world of Christ without a church. It won't take you long to realize, even if you don't know Ephesians chapter 4, it is intuitive. The Holy Ghost will teach you. Uh, he taught me a couple of things without even going to church. He taught me to drop alcohol, and he taught me that I need to go to church. I didn't even have to have a preacher tell me all those things. He, without me knowing it, he taught me, um, uh, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. I didn't even know that verse yet. And then he taught me Ephesians chapter 4. That the that God has equipped the saints, right? They, there's 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 a uh, there's pastors, teachers, and all of that for the to the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. He taught me that because I couldn't do anything with the people that got saved or made professions or wanted to know more. Well, that was the end of my. I just exhausted my Romans Road outline. That's all I got. <laughs> I don't have nothing else for you. You know, I got to go somewhere. I got better go check out one of these churches I don't trust, right? And that's what I did. And then God help me. So, um, so Colossians is pretty clear. We should be preaching that, uh, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom uh, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Wherein, wherein too I also labor, striving to get according to the working which worketh in me mightily. And by the way, uh, the Apostle Paul, who really did know the Bible very well, he seemed to be pretty fond of both planting and working through local New Testament churches to get the ministry done since every one of his epistles was written to local churches there. 
except for the pastoral epistles. All right, so uh, so we're not doing God a favor when we share the gospel. We make disciples, and we're doing what he redeemed us to do. Second, second, uh, second Corinthians 4, 1 says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, Right, we put all that away, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So verses 1 and 2 tell us that there's a change that takes place in our life. Right? We're, we're not being, as Amy and I, it's a Romanian term, we're not being schmecca anymore. We're not, we're, not, we're not being shady. We're not, we're not doing this for, for ill-gotten gain or some other motive. And, uh, and, we, and we renounce the hidden things of dishonesty. And, and, and we handle the word of God, uh, not deceitfully, right? But we manifest the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So we don't, we change our language. You know, I learned a new language. It didn't include curse words once I got saved. That's another thing God took from me when I got saved. That was one of those things. You know, some people, <clears throat> like they, God just takes things, you know, um, like for me, I, I didn't need. I was not an alcoholic, so taking alcohol wasn't. It was not like a big deal for me. I just was, was like, okay, no big deal. It wasn't like I struggled. But man, cursing like a sailor was like divine. It's like some people I know they struggle with like meth or whatever, and God just divinely took it from them. I mean, just there's no explanation. He just took it, you know. And so um, I don't know. It'd be interesting to go around the room and ask if if you all have testimonies like that. Of course, if you got saved when you were seven or eight, you may not know, you know, uh, what that was all about. But but you know, yeah, for me, and I wasn't very old, but man, I used to have a terrible tongue, and uh, it just it just gone. And so um, so God's good like that, and He does that so that we can commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God with honesty. Um. Because if our gospel's hid, verse 3, it's hid to them that are lost. You know, we don't clean up our act because we come to church. We're not trying to impress anyone here. We shouldn't be. We, we should receive each other here. The place that our life should be shining is out with the lost people. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the lie of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So here in the last, you know, decade or so, two decades, three decades now probably, you know, the church has gone on an apology tour. Andy Stanley's still doing it down in Atlanta, talking about, you know, you know how we offend everybody. And, and at the end of the day, man, everybody just needs to get a grip. We just need to worship Jesus. He's a God of love. If you can't handle the love of Christ, you got a problem. And in uh, the truth of God's word. Now, there definitely have been mean-spirited Baptist preachers, no doubt about it. So I, I will I will I will concede to that. Uh, there's probably been some carnal Baptist preachers, right, that weren't in the flesh or that weren't in the spirit. But for the most part, you know, I was listening to Van Halen. I got saved. I came to church in my T-shirt when everybody was wearing ties back in the day. I felt the love of Jesus. Nobody ran me off. I felt accepted. I heard the preaching, hard preaching. I knew I, I was I had the ability to apply, you know, what I needed to apply, chew the meat, spit out the bones, whatever. I mean, I wasn't a super Bible theologian, but the spirit bore witness with my spirit that these are the, this is the people of God. This is the word of God. This is what this word's at, you know, 
I didn't need anybody to come up patting me on the back saying, I'm sorry that we're not relevant to you. Sorry we didn't have a little ACDC going in the background when you came in the church. You know, I'd have thought that was a joke, honestly. If I'd have rolled in there, it didn't offend me at all that all we did is sing hymns. Didn't even think about it. I didn't expect to sit, listen to Van Halen when I came to church. You know, it just didn't, wasn't any, it wasn't even in my mind. Now, don't get me wrong. I appreciate contemporary worship music and, and all we do. I'm not, I'm just saying. You don't have to, you don't have to be like the world. The world, the world, and I'm not saying contemporary music, because music is music, but at the end of the day, you need to be like Christ. And certainly the world will be uncomfortable with that until they decide to repent and receive Jesus and get in on it. I mean, that's how it works. But man, you, you get to where you're pleasing the world all the time. Well, you become like the world. And you lose the power of the Holy Ghost because instead of being holy as he's holy, you're becoming unholy like they are. I mean, it's, that simple. it's not this outward. I'm not talking about outward standards of appearance and all of that. You guys know what I'm talking about in this church. And, and that, is the, that is where Baptists have gone the wrong way oftentimes is we put outward, we put outward uh, expressions of holiness instead of inward ones, right? So it's the inner man of the heart that we're talking about. And so... Um, so the, the, these are things that are important. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. And ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. It's all about Jesus. What does Jesus want? Love, joy, peace, on suffering. right? He wants us to be filled with the Spirit. This is all for Jesus' sake. We're servants for Jesus' sake. So we're to be servants. We're commanded to do this. We're commanded to go. And we transfer the life of Christ through the gospel and the word of God as we make disciples and fulfill the mission of God. So 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, you guys know this verse. Um, and he gave things, and uh, he gave, and I'm sorry, and the things that thou hast heard among, uh, heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. It's very reminiscent of Matthew chapter uh, 28, isn't it? All power is given unto me, go ye therefore and teach, make disciples of all nations. The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. It's a transformation. It's a transition. It's a transfer, not just of the knowledge, but of of the doctrine, the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's why we do have discipleship. We have the basic fundamentals transferred life to life, soul to soul. It's not just the the Bible itself. It's 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 the soul to soul contact. And the transfer of life through the word of God. All right, so point C. You guys probably already guessed it. Jesus Jesus values souls because he made us and wants to restore his image in fallen man. This is why does God got this issue with men and why does he want to redeem us? What makes us the what what makes a man and I say this man or woman, what makes humans so valuable to God? Yeah, we can worship him. He created us in his image. That's right, his image. Those are all the things that make us valuable. Whatever he's bestowed upon us is what makes us valuable. It's it's him that makes us valuable. If he decided to cast us off, we would not be of any value. His redeem, His desire to redeem us is what makes us so valuable. And the lengths at which he went to redeem us has made us valuable. You know, this chair up here, I think if we bought it brand new, it's worth like 45 bucks or something like that. Maybe it's 65 now with inflation. But whatever it's worth, 
But if some old dude rolls up in here and pays a million bucks, everybody's going to wonder, why is that thing so valuable? Then they're all going to be interested in it, right? And God's paid a lot for us. He's, we're priceless, as a matter of fact. We're so priceless. There's nothing else. I mean, the blood of Christ, it makes us priceless. He loves people. You can't, you can't, there's the value that Jesus has put upon us is amazing. But yeah, it's, he restores his image in fallen man. He wants to do that. So Genesis 2 7, and this is again, a lot of this is rehearsed. I know a lot of you know this, but the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. I mean, God quickened, we're not just dirt, we're not just, uh, you know, DNA capsules. He has put in us a soul. So if they ever do clone you, uh, I don't know what's going to quicken that thing, but if it ain't the soul, it's something else. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so men men are tampering with all this stuff, and uh, they need to be careful. Yeah, I don't either, brother. It's pretty scary. I wish I was talking about science fiction. So, but uh, there's a lot of crazy technology out there today. So, uh, yeah, God breathed into the nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So Colossians 1, 15 says this in verse uh, 16. Uh, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. Interesting. Who is the image of the invisible God? That's not a question. He's referencing Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. I mentioned that earlier. If you want to see God, you see Jesus. You can't see the Holy Ghost. You can't see the Father, but you can see Jesus. And so um, that's interesting because if man man became a living soul, and he was in the image and likeness of God, then at one point we were we were in the likeness of of God too. Or I'm sorry, not the likeness, the image. So what happens is when you get when you get saved is you invite the image of God into you. What changes you when you get saved? You become like Christ. We use that term all the time thinking like behaviorally we become like Christ, because we do, hopefully. We behave like Christ. But literally, we have the image of Christ in us. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But when we see him, we'll be like him. Right? First John 1, or First John 3, 1 through 3. So, so that's, that's heavy to think about. The image of God is in us. You just can't see it. You can't see the image of God in me other than the Spirit of God working out through my life. Same thing with your life. But the image of God is in you if you're saved. Hebrews 1.3 says this, Who being in the brightness of his glory and express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of God or of majesty, of the majesty on high. Sat down on the right hand of majesty on high. Of course, again, we're talking about Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ the, the express image of God is sitting at the right hand of the Father, but he's dwelling in us because we have the Spirit of God. It doesn't look like it yet, but it will when we get to heaven. That's where he's at. 
it's, there's a lot there to meditate on. I'll just leave it there for now. Okay, the point here, though, is Jesus values souls because he made us and wants to restore his image in fallen man. Well, Brian, on that, that last point, I don't know what you're saying there. Are you saying that men aren't in his image until they receive Jesus? Yes. They're in his likeness. I don't get picky about it when people say, and you'll hear it, I might even say it, you know, in just the course of conversation. Where it's often said, oh, we're all creating God's image. That's, you know, because people don't read their Bible and take the words very seriously. But it's likeness and image. Likeness and image. Something happened to that image after the fall. If you, I'm going to, this isn't in our notes, but just quickly, because uh, I know some in here may not have seen this before. Let's just go back real quick and look at this. Uh, if you go back to Genesis um, chapter 2, No, sorry, chapter 1. It says in verse 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, of, uh, over the cattle and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So, let, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Of course, you know uh, Genesis chapter three. Something happens, and they were uh, after they when they well first in Genesis two twenty five, Adam and Eve are naked. It says in verse twenty five, they were both naked, the man and his wife. The key there he ends chapter two saying, and they were not ashamed. They were pure as the wind driven snow. There was no shame. There was no why because they were in God's they were in God's likeness and image. <clears throat> and by the way, they were probably clothed in light. So whatever, I don't, I mean, I can't necessarily prove that, but I got a lot of evidence to point that way. But whatever, let's just say they, whatever. Something happens in Genesis chapter 3 and they're naked and ashamed, right? And you know how that story goes with Satan. And then you get over to chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, this is the book of the generations, right? And generations, gene, the gene pool here. We're going to talk about the genealogy um, of Adam. In the, in the day that God created man in the likeness of God, made he him. Male and, wait, wait, I thought it said the image. In the likeness of God, made he him. doesn't say anything about the image right there. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. Well, that's just a scribal error. They forgot that image thing there. Oh. I don't believe that, by the way. I'm just being facetious. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. And the days of Adam were, uh, and the days of Adam after he'd begotten Seth were 800 years and he begat sons and daughters. So what happened there? 
Seth was born in the likeness and image of Adam. But God says Adam was born in the likeness. Now, of course, he had the image and likeness. But something happened between Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, and that was the fall. And that's why he was naked, and that's why he had to cover up, because he was ashamed. What happens when you get saved and the image of God comes in? You're, no, you're free. No more shame. No more fear. You're forgiven. You got the image of Christ. You got that, your light-bearing being. It doesn't yet appear what we shall be, but you're full of light. You think Paul's talking about being a light in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation? He's talking about, like, you know, these lights. He, there's a spiritual light. We just can't see it on our spectrum because we're limited by these physical likenesses. But the image that God God sees it. I had to, Amy can attest to this. One of the creepiest things that happened in my life one time was this lady came up to my window, and it wasn't what she says, how she said it. And she looks at me, and she says, you really carry a lot of light. <laughs> I was like, okay, you kind of creep me out, lady. So um, so uh, it's just why, why I was like, I hope I do carry a lot of light. Why is it you're the only person around here noticing this? So anyway, um, it was weird. But it's spiritual light, the image of God. Jesus Christ, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. He's true. Anyway, I could go on. So uh, when we get saved and we invite Jesus in, we get the image of God. So no, lost people, they don't have the, they don't have the image until they get Jesus, who is, as I've set forth clearly, the express image of God. All right, so God had a heart to get the gospel where it needs to go on time. In John, in John um, 4.35, the Bible says, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They are white already to harvest. Right? He wants to, he wants to get the folks out of the field. He wants to get people saved, and he wants to get them saved now. So let's go to point two. Any questions on point one? This, again, is review for most of us, but it's still important. It's good to rehearse all these things. Because the mission, the church is here to fulfill the mission, ultimately. That's why we're here as a group. We're here to mobilize and get the gospel where it needs to go. So the vision of God gives us uh, to see and fulfill the mission, the, the vision, uh, the mission, I should say, rather. So let's talk about that. Proverbs twenty nine eighteen, the familiar passage, every vision conference, we probably I probably use this. Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. And so... Uh, if we don't have vision, man, it'll affect people uh, and they will not perish. Literally, the context of that is correcting your son. If you go back and look at it, you have a vision for your family. God has a vision to to build his family through his son, Jesus Christ. That's how he reconciles us. So God wants us to see the vision for the mission of God. I mean, he really wants us to see this thing because uh, God needs us to see what he wants to do. So we cannot save anyone. Our job is to take and share the gospel with everyone. Right? You can't save anyone. You can just help people see the gospel and receive, and you can offer the opportunity to receive it. Man, that takes a lot of pressure off your gospel presentation. You're, you don't have to compel people to pray prayers. You don't have to do any of that. You simply just need to give them the gospel. You'll know when they want to receive it, and it's time. Then you just ask them, would you like to pray? You'll be like more shocked than anybody when they say, yeah, I would. You're like, oh, it's amazing when the Holy Ghost prepares people to get saved. Uh, you know, the whole, you don't have to be saved, by the way, for the Holy Ghost to work on you. I think sometimes Christians get that all messed up. There's a difference between the sealing of your soul, the indwelling Holy Ghost, and then the power of the Spirit of God 
to to convict you of sin. That's what he does is he convicts men of sin. He convicts us of sin. Yeah, Ron. Yeah. Yeah, the Calvinists would teach that you have to uh you have to be quickened enough to receive so that you can get saved. It's a weird like a double it's a really weird thing. So the holy you're so dead, you can't think, you can't do nothing. You're just they equate your ability to, to process thoughts with your spiritual depravity. Um and then because you're you're so which you know, we say when we say that uh someone's totally depraved we would say yeah total depravity it sounds like we're saying the same thing but we're not we mean two different things we believe in adam all die that's what we believe right and then in christ all shall be made alive they believe in adam you can't do anything you have no free will you're just a robot and so god has to use the spirit of god to quicken you is what ron's saying uh so that you can hear the gospel and receive it uh and god has to do that because you're too dead to receive it which is hogwash. The whole, the, I mean, go through the Bible. God routinely talks to lost Gentile kings. He's talking to all kinds of people that aren't even saved. You know, he'll use Balaam's ass to get the message across. I mean, God can, God can do a lot of things with the Spirit of God. Now, he does seal our soul to the day of redemption. Don't get me wrong. That's that's different. But, I mean, yeah. I mean, he can convict. God, he created us in his likeness. And we are, to a limited degree, you know, I want to be careful with the word sovereign, but... Within the context of creation, we have dominion. That's the word. I, I mean, we have dominion as as humans. This whole pagan concept that's rushing over the planet right now, which is all in time for the, the last days, you know, that we need to worship the earth and that the earth needs us to, you know, save it and all of this business. is. There's a certain sense in, like, that's true and that we're cons- we should be conservative and we should probably make sure there's perennial seeds available and not patent every seed on the planet to some corporation that's probably good stewardship of god's technology that he provided for us okay that's that would be good stewardship it's in our power and the same hand the same people that will take and patent every seed for profit's sake or turn around telling you that your carbon footprint's too big and they're measuring your flatulence i mean that's absurd it's, it's ridiculous if you want to know where i'm at on that subject <laughs> And I do, I do, that's, I am very not gracious about that. I know, I got, I know many pastors, they tiptoe through the tulips on that subject and they, they don't want to offend the younger generation. We need to offend the younger generation because they don't have a clue what in the world's going on. They're worshiping the earth. It's called paganism. And, uh, Mother Earth, you know, just because you watched, um, what's that movie? We watched it, me and Elle watched it the other day. Oh. It's a whole paganism movie, the whole thing. Uh, it's good 3D, though. I can't tell you the plot. Some guy's virtually living. Huh? Avatar, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's just a, like a big old, you know, the earth feels you and all this stuff, you know, the planet feels. All right. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a energy, you know, circulating. Hey, you should be a steward of the earth, no doubt, because you have dominion. Right. You should there's all you should plant new trees. You should you should thin the herds. Uh, you should be good stewards of the earth. But don't worship the earth. Worship the creator, not the creation. And that's what's going on is, is earth worship. And uh, the, the hypocrisy in that is that that uh, the people that want to steward it are 
the biggest violators. Uh, and it's, so it's, it's really about control. And, uh, and it's absurd. Um, okay, so I think most people get that. And if that makes you upset, then come and talk to me personally. And I, I'll, I'll, I can get into details with you because it's, it's pretty documented. I mean, that's stuff. You just go read their own writings. You, it's not hard to find. All right, so, um, so we can't save anyone. Our job is to take, take the gospel where it needs to go, and that's to everybody. In the Old Testament, God called the prophet Isaiah by giving him a vision. So I just want to talk to you a minute about vision. Um, so in Isaiah 6, 1, uh, he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I, also, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. Twain is two, not Shania. And with twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved and the voice of him that cried and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then... Uh, flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which had taken, uh, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth and said, "Lo, this uh, hath touched my lips, and thine uh, iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged." Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, "Whom shall I send, and who will go for us?" Then said, uh, "Then said I, Here am I, send me." And he said, "Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed." But understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. You know, interesting thing about Isaiah um, and Jeremiah. These guys were called; they had these visions, and uh, and their message wasn't received. Sometimes Isaiah had a few few good opportunities there under Hezekiah, so it was kind of hit and miss. But he went and talked to people who couldn't wouldn't receive the message too, wouldn't perceive what was being said. Sometimes God gives you the gospel to try your heart. That's why it took me many years to really realize First Thessalonians 2.4. I misapplied that verse earlier. You know, as we've been put in trust with the gospel, so also we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. For so many years, I always thought that meant that, first of all, I took it personal. Like I, uh, I'm the one. God's given me the gospel, which is a good way to take it when you're a young Christian, especially, and you're self-centered. Um, uh, you know, God's given me the gospel, so I need to take it to every place in the world, you know, because God's given it to me, which is, that's a devotional application. If you read it carefully, which it was when I was getting ready to come to Harrisonville, I was doing a, a camp that Randy Foster, by the way, put together. Uh, we used to take these float trips, and we were at this float trip, and I was preaching, and I was preaching that passage because it's one of my favorites, and it's when it really hit me as I was down here doing Bible study. It's as we have been put in trust with the gospel. And God had already shown me, you know, you can't do nothing without the body of Christ. I mean, it's, we're, we're impotent without, the, without each other. There's nothing that we're going to do. We can't, we have no power in and of ourselves. I mean, obviously we need Christ, but even that, like me personally, I have to be plugged into church. I don't just come to church to preach. I come to church if I'm not preaching because this is what I need, you know. And so, um, and so uh, where was I going with that thought? I got myself, oh, so... And so, um, 
as we've been put in trust with the gospel, so also we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. For so long I thought it was God that was trying my heart. <clears throat> I thought this was about, you know, God trying our heart with what we do with the gospel. But really it's the gospel itself that tries our heart. As we've been put in trust with the gospel, so also we speak. Not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our heart. What's really trying my heart is the, is the gospel itself. When you realize the grace that you've been given, you receive the vision, and you understand that you've been redeemed by a gracious God, and he has put you in play through his Holy Spirit, all the stuff we've been talking to leading to this point, then it is the very gospel itself that tries your heart. I had a conversation with someone this very week about that. All this Bible knowledge you know, now what are you going to do with that? I can't, well, my friends don't know this and my friends don't know that. Oh, well, who's going to tell them? Who's putting your heart on trial? God. Why? Because he's given you the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again the third day. But the gospel is also Genesis to Revelation. Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. I mean, the gospel is Genesis to Revelation. This is the good news, how the story ends. Eschatology. All of it is part of the gospel. I mean, you don't have end times prophecies if Jesus doesn't resurrect. You've got to have a resurrected Savior to come rule and reign. So this Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is the gospel. The more you know about the Bible, the more it tries your heart, the more you realize, man, this isn't just the words of men. This is the words of God. This, this stuff needs to be handed down to the next generations, right? So you get busy about making disciples, you see how that works? It's the gospel that tries your heart. It's the good news that tries your heart. Or does it? And if it doesn't, why? Why doesn't it? Why doesn't it move us? I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's no answer to that other than carnality. Um, we love ourselves more than God. I mean, that's what's that's that's part of it. So anyway, guys, um, that's one of my life verses. So I think about that one. Uh, that one's a really big one in my life. It, it's funny. God used it for so many years, at least a decade. I didn't even quote it right. You know, it was all, and I had it all discombobulated. I didn't even understand it. And God's like that, man. He'll, he'll give you as much truth as you can handle and he'll use it, you know. So, uh, he's awesome and truly awesome. And so, um, so these guys get these visions from God and they're, they're entrusted with that and it burns in them, right? Like Jeremiah is like, man, I'm just a child and don't say you're a child. Go where I tell you to go. You know, and he's and you got to preach. You got to do what you're told because it tries the vision itself tries your heart. Understanding the gospel, it tries our heart. So in the New Testament, our vision is the preserved word of God. You know, that's really the vision is God's word for the love of Christ constraineth us. Right. Constrains us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Here's all this all stuff again. And he that died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Now, this isn't Thessalonians. This is the Corinthians. And Paul is saying, man, the love of Christ constrains us. It holds us. Why? Because we judge, we thus judge that if one died for all, then all were dead. And that he died for all. That they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. Oh, that's the hard part. 
we cannot afford to live unto ourselves. We can't afford to be selfish. Behold, you know, Revelation 3. I am rich and increased with goods. God doesn't need I am's. He's the great I am. That's the very problem. <clears throat> Thou sayest, I'm rich and increased with goods. Well, Jesus is rich and increased with goods, but we need, that's, we need more him and less of us. <clears throat> All right, so the word vision. Uh, the word vision is not used in any of the Pauline or general epistles with the exception of the book of Acts. How about that? So Paul was not disobedient to the heavenly vision when he saw it on the road to Damascus. So this is the only this is where you're going to see the word vision. And I said, "Who art thou, Lord?" And he said, "I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and those things which uh, which uh, which I will appear unto thee." Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. I've saved you from them. Now I'm going to send you to them. Verse 18. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. From the power of Satan unto God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by the by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient <clears throat> unto the heavenly vision. What heavenly vision is he talking about? Right, the road to Damascus when he got saved. What will thou have me to do, Lord? Right? The vision is, is his salvation, his, his repentance, his time when he came to Christ and said, Not my will, but thine be done. He gave up and he, and he accepted Christ. Are you disobedient to that vision? If you're born again, everyone in here would claim to be born again. You think, oh, yeah, I got saved. Okay, that's true. That salvation, we're talking about mission and vision. That's what this whole section is about. So in the, God has put you in this church because God is on a mission and he has given you a vision. You don't need some advanced vision like, oh, what's God want me to do? Do I need to go to Africa? You know, No, you need to take the gospel that you've got and you need to proclaim it everywhere you can. And he'll take you where you need to go. If you need to go to Africa, the door will open. He'll convict you about that. There'll be opportunities in this church. You can go to Oaxaca. You can go here. You can go there. You can go You can go take it to the streets. What's that? Maple City. That's right. Got a voice of the Lord came. <laughs> came from heaven, an audible voice. So anyway, so yeah, you can go to Maple City. So we shouldn't be disobedient to the vision God gives us from his word. Obviously, there was <clears throat> there was uh, no New Testament when Paul was saved on the road to Damascus, so he wasn't reading the New Testament. Today, the vision that we hold is 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 clearly clearly revealed in the scripture. Right. In fact, the mysteries given to the church are stewarded by us and we find them in the word of God. <clears throat> So when we preach the gospel, it's not only a vision for evangelism, but a vision to mature disciples who can reproduce the image of Christ in others. This implies maturity and purity. Those two things have to be together, maturity and purity. So the vision of HBF, you say, what's our vision? Well, it's in the Bible. 
I was convicted about this. I literally I took off work. I fasted. I prayed. I'm like, this is a big deal, Lord. This is where we're headed. I had to get my mission or my uh, church plant plan to the, the mission board at KCBT. So I, I think it was a Thursday. I don't remember. But I remember taking off work, took a day off, and I just I just was fasting and praying and seeking God's face. And we're still running that mission statement. Heartland Baptist Fellowship equips to, to we, we exist to equip the saints of God and the word of God to accomplish the mission of God and the power of God for the glory of God. I've added by the grace of God. <clears throat> but um, that was in my, that was that day. God gave me that based on Ephesians chapter four. I was just going back over the scriptures. What are we supposed to do? We're edify, exercise and engage. That's where that came from. Ephesians chapter four, the work of the ministry, edifying. Right. That's what we're here to do. And so. um which is learn, live, and love, no grow and go now. We, we kind of modify the same thing. <clears throat> um, and so at that time, you know what? God said, Brian, this is the vision. What's the vision? It's one thing to have a mission. Go ye therefore, teach all nations. But what's the vision? What's that look like? A vision is like, what does that look like? How can you communicate that in words, uh, not just in plans? Right? Well, it, it's, it's Philippians 2. Or even our vision comes from Philippians or from the word of God. That does come from Philippians, and here it is. Every Next Steps meeting, when I teach people about what Heartland's about, I take them here. Um, Wherefore, my beloved, <clears throat> so talking to the church, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. What's that mean? We should be just as zealous, if not more zealous now, than they were in the first century. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean work to be saved. Work because you're saved. Get to work. <clears throat> With fear and trembling. Why? Because we're going to appear at the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to give account for how we finish the anchor leg of this race. <clears throat> for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Do all things, not some things, all things without murmurings and disputings. And man, when this church has gone away from that, the judgment of God fell. When you got people immature and petty start murmuring and disputing, whoo, look out. God wasn't having it. Ignoring the Lord's Supper, not making things right, he'll rip you right out of here. That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. That's the standard. Holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Now, that isn't it is. I take that personal personally, because I, I do have a personal interest in not running in vain or laboring in vain. And you should as well. But ultimately, <clears throat> what this passage is talking about. Is Paul not running in vain or laboring in vain historically? Right. He's saying, I've entrusted this to you and I'm handing it off. And I'm trusting you'll be a faithful steward of that. And we know the churches of Macedonia, of which Philippi was, were really good stewards of the word of God. And uh, in weakness and fear and trembling and all kinds of issues that they dealt with and persecution, they gave them more than they, they gave above and beyond what Paul could ask or think. Second Corinthians chapter 8. But the main thing is holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. When Jesus Christ returns to this earth to catch away his church, by God's grace, I do pray that Heartland would be an exceptional church and that we held fast to the faithful word as we've been taught and we will be a light that shines. And we literally have an opportunity to do that in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. 
So I pray that we can fulfill that vision faithfully until the Lord returns. So that's the vision. Next time we get together, we'll talk about the role of discipleship in fulfilling the mission of God. But that's where we're going to stop for tonight. And, uh, and we'll pick it up next week. Any questions? Kind of a repeat for most of us. It's good for me, though. I'm, I mean, I know this stuff, but it's good for me to go back over it and to meditate on it and give myself wholly to it, that thy profiting may appear to all. All right, you guys ready to do it? Ready to go ye therefore, fill with the Spirit, be tried by the gospel? I hope so. That's why we're here. We're not just here to learn. We're here to do. All right, let's stand together in a word of prayer, and we'll get ready to go. Get ready to go out and do it. <clears throat> Before we close in prayer, last I think it was a, you led someone to Christ last time I asked. Anyone lead anyone to Christ this week? Anybody share the gospel? You share the gospel? Tire Storm Belton. Praise the Lord. Amen. Oh, that's awesome. Iron sharpens iron. There's, what about you, Elizabeth? I see you, you got to witness to somebody. <clears throat> awesome. Salvation. Awesome. Praise the Lord. What, what? Well, you don't have to say his name. So if you're online, you're like, what's the dead air? You know, um, Elizabeth is sharing. A, she's been witnessing to a friend from school that believes in baptism, regeneration, which means you get baptized or the church he goes to teaches you get baptized to be saved. And they've been teaching him the gospel. And he's been asking a lot of questions and following back up. So we need to pray for this fellow that he gets saved. Maybe, God, for such a time as this tonight, we're talking about this subject so we can pray this for this guy and uh, pray that he gets saved. Anybody else get to witness to anybody? I was uh, visiting Leela yesterday, and I uh, talked to a young lady, but she was already in a church. Her name was Grace, so I think she probably was raised by Christian parents too, but that doesn't mean she's saved. But I didn't quite get to the gospel, so planting a couple seeds. But anyway, awesome. We'll sow water and reap. God will get the increase. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this.